Okay, welcome back to Talking Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo, recording this on a Sunday evening, uh, the day after the Knicks. They got they got trounced. They got just blown out in Miami by a score of 86 to 105. Uh, the series is now 2-1 in favor of the Heat. So we're going to talk about sort of what went wrong and what we hope to see in game four, which will be tonight um, as you're listening to this. So let's do it. Let's talk I'm joined today for the first time in a while, I think, by both the Poon brothers at the same time, Kenny and Greg. Greg, I'll start with you because I saw Kenny earlier today. Greg, how are you? I'm doing well. It's nice weather outside. Had a Central Park day. Went there, sat there. It's good. So what I'm do you good. do in Central Park? Just sit? Just sit. Place was packed today. I was just sitting in Sheep Meadow today. I've heard it's of a it. Big it's a big meadow where people sit. People toss the old frisbee around there. Yeah, yeah. So that going on. That was it. That was it for me. That's the whole I'm day. Good. That's a pretty good day, though. Yeah. Um, Kenny, I we spent a lot of time together. We actually hooped quite a bit ourselves. Yeah, we uh, we shot some ball. We shot about as well as the New York Knickerbockers did in their last game. Uh, but we had an excuse. We haven't played b- basketball in a little bit. So uh, that was it was good to get out there, though. And I think I, I told you I got a little more color than I anticipated. Um, I had a little color. I just got back from Ecuador. That's why you haven't heard me on the pod, fans listening. Uh, I was in Ecuador for a minute. I've been traveling a little bit before I just started a, a new job last week. So trying to get all the, the good times in. Uh, but, yeah, we got some hoop in, and it was it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun time. Yes, we'll do it again soon. Um, but to your point, it, it it didn't go great from a from an efficiency standpoint. Um, so the Knicks in game three shot eight of 40 from three. It's 20%. That is actually better than what I shot against you. But, um, I mean, that was probably one of the stories of the game was just the complete inability to, to hit shots from deep. And I know that was obviously the storyline coming out of game one as well. So like, there's not a whole lot new to say there. It's like, you know, we can almost table that conversation and just know that that's hugely important to the Knicks winning games is, is making threes. You know, I actually, I went on the Knicks film school podcast, not to plug a rival Knicks podcast, but I was on the show this past week. And I said, actually, Statistically, the Knicks are not a bad three-point shooting team. If you go from after the uh, the trade deadline, they were like the eighth best three-point shooting team in the league, and they they were taking a top ten number like volume. They're top ten in volume as well, so they were actually like a pretty good three-point shooting team. And obviously, that has totally collapsed in the playoffs. Yeah, and I, I think we we talked about this a little bit today. Um, I think you know the Knicks have some guys who are known as good shooters. I think Emmanuel quickly and and Quentin Grimes come to mind who have not been shooting well. And then they have some guys that the heat don't really see as a threat. And they've just kind of been leaving them open. Uh, Those guys include guys like RJ Barrett, who has been shooting it actually decently this series uh, and, you know, closing out the the calf series and Josh Hart, who, who shot it very well after coming to the Knicks. I want to say he shot it better than 50%, but uh, not on a high number of shots. Um, so they have guys who are capable of shooting and then, you know, they just haven't been making them, whether it's, you know, the the increased intensity of the playoffs 
uh, or the pressure of the playoffs or, you know, um, Grimes has, has some injuries, uh, whatever it is, the shots haven't been falling. And, you know, it's, it's becoming a little bit of a concern and maybe that's understating it. Um, but the shots just haven't been falling and, and they need the, excuse me, they need the shots to be falling uh, if they're going to, you know, have any chance to win any of these games. Yeah. If you shoot 34% from the field, you're probably not going to win. There's not a, we don't, not a ton of analysis to be done there. It's just, uh, that's all I got to say. It's pretty bad. Yeah. It's about as deep as, as it really needs to be, but we'll try and go a little more of, I mean, the Knicks started slow in general. Like they were down, I think, as much as 13 in the first quarter. Um, I believe they started the second quarter really just down by eight. So not nothing crazy, but then the second quarter didn't go so hot either. It was it was really another slow start. And I think that's kind of become a trend for this group, specifically this this starting lineup, the starting unit of uh Brunson, RJ, Hart. Randall and Mitch, obviously that group has just played two games in this series because of Randall's absence in game one. But even just logically, I'm struggling with the fit here. And I think it has all to do with Josh Hart. I've said before, it's hard to look at this team play and be like, you know what we need are fewer Josh Hart minutes. And that's not what I'm advocating for. It's just a a fit issue where Quentin Grimes should continue playing the same number of minutes that he is, but he should be doing it with that starting unit because Josh Hart is not being guarded on the perimeter and Quentin Grimes for as much as he struggled, the heat are not treating him in the same way. They're not going to, they don't want Quentin Grimes to shoot 10, 11, three pointers per game. And if they do allow that, then that I think that that's actually good for the Knicks offense, but Quentin Grimes is, he makes the most sense to me to reinsert in that starting lineup so that he can just provide a little bit of spacing for the Knicks, three best players, the three highest usage guys, certainly in Randall Brunson and RJ who all want to get into the teeth of the defense, all want to get into the paint. Our hearts presence there really keeps that from happening. Yeah. And we, we talked about this, you know, throughout the season um, about how well Quentin Grimes fits with that group and how well Mitchell Robinson fits with that group. Cause those are guys who you don't need to give the ball. Um, you know, the, those are the guys who, um, you know, Mitchell Robinson can go get an offensive rebound and, you know, he'll, he'll catch a lob every now and then, but, you know, he doesn't need the ball to be effective. Uh, Quentin Grimes is the same way. Like you said, he creates a lot of, a lot of spacing just by the threat of shooting. And he's a guy that, you know, he'll attack closeouts, but like, unless the ball gets swung to him, he's not going to do a lot of, you know, pounding the ball um, in order to get shots off. So I agree that I think he fits with that group. Um, I think another thing that, you know, we've talked about outside of the pod is it's just, He's, he he came off of injury. Uh, he doesn't look a hundred percent right now. So like I I can I agree with you a hundred percent that I think um, putting him in the starting lineup with those guys makes sense. Um, it's just I just as the Tibbs defender, I think it's a defensible position um, not to have done that, particularly after they won Game Two. Um, you know, after they were kind of blown out in Game Three, I think it might make a little more sense. Um, but you know, he he's looked a little bit hobbled. His shot has not been going in the entire playoffs. Um, so. You know, I just don't know whether there's stuff we don't know about in terms of how injured he is or what the deal is there. But, you know, I agree that if he uh, is with that starting unit, it creates a little bit more spacing and, you know, it might get him a few easier opportunities while moving Josh Hart to that, you know, bench unit. The bench unit was atrocious last game. 
Yeah, I definitely want to get to that bench unit. And you're right. I do think that Josh Hart's presence there would be helpful. But and again, my my point is is less about Quentin Grimes production and more about just how the defense treats him, because you're right. He has not shot the ball well at all in these playoffs, but he's still treated that way. And I think that's kind of what's going to be more important for the Knicks stars. Um, you know, yeah, and I think what just the the one point I was making is is that um, you know he he's a little bit hobbled and and he hasn't been you know playing that well. So I I after winning game two, I can see the defensible position of keeping the guys who were who won that game in the same rotations. But you know now I am less tied to that uh, just because there's so little room for error in the playoffs. And you know if if this was the regular season, I say absolutely you need to do that. You need to throw them out there. But with when it, you know you have the possibility of going home if you lose a couple more games, then it's it's a little tighter and you don't want to take those risks. I just think you know, and even if it doesn't start, Kenny, I know the Strickland had that tweet about how that that starting unit, the the unit that started for so much of the regular season, and you know brought us a lot of success, hasn't played together at all, zero minutes. And yes, Quentin Grimes' injury definitely factors into that. But we got to see a look in game four greg what do you think quentin grimes are you are you down with him getting back into the starting unit yeah that sounds about right i mean that is that was the starting unit the second half of the year after the post trade deadline josh hart was always coming off the bench you know the only reason he got inserted into the starting lineup was because of of the injury but then uh you know josh hart is tasked with with defending Donovan Mitchell and he did a good job of doing that and Knicks won that in five so they stuck with it here in this one uh especially with Grimes coming off injury but you know this is that was the starting lineup you know that's more it's more of an aberration that Josh Hart is the one starting so we should just begin back to to what got us here yep yeah and I think the one other thing I forgot to mention and, and we've talked about separately is uh, I think one of the reasons Josh Hart might be starting is just because of the strength of Jimmy Butler. Um, Quentin Grimes is a great defender. Uh, Jimmy Butler is just a force, though. He's a very strong defender, and Josh Hart, or he's a very strong, you know, offensive player. And Josh Hart has a little more strength in guarding, you know, bigger players. And you know, to be fair, Josh Hart has also done a commendable job on Jimmy Butler this series. So I think that might be another part of the reason. Um, but like you said, if you're if you're keeping about the same minutes for both of them. I think, you know, it's, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense not to at least try that out. Um, but again, as the, the Tibbs defender, I, I I can see why he is doing what he's doing. I'm not going to say it's a, and I think it's the worst plan. It's just, your point is well taken about Hart defending well on Butler, but the issue has not been the defense, right? Like they, the heat one scoring 105 points in this one, the Knicks scored 86 and, and the offense has really been the problem. So I think to juice that, we talked about on the flip side too. Josh Hart's presence in that uh, in that second unit could help Obi Toppin get going in transition. We know Josh Hart likes to grab and go, push the ball. Emmanuel quickly needs someone to to help with the playmaking. It seems like he's been burdened with that, and during the regular season, that wasn't a problem at all. But in the postseason, he's had a hard time really creating. We know Josh Hart is a great passer. I think he had nine assists in game two. Like I just think <clears throat> complementary pieces wise, Josh Hart would really be better served with that second unit of course still playing minutes with the starters but man we got to get off to some better starts because it's been really like the team has just started in the mud starting from a deficit over and over again 
Yeah. And one thing I just want to add on to what you were just saying, and it was a little bit of a surprise development after Josh Hart came over is he was bringing the ball up a decent amount of the time with Emmanuel quickly on the floor, like playing the, I guess, designated point guard position, uh, which was, which was interesting. And like you said, Emmanuel quickly thrived in that role and, you know, having Josh Hart alongside him. So that's, that's a great point on your part. I, I just, I don't know. I would love to see Grimes reinserted in the starting lineup. Obviously, do I think it's going to happen? I'm I'm not all that confident that uh, that it's really going to happen. But um, I don't know. Do you guys think, like, odds-wise, do you think it's really going to happen? I think after, like I said, after game two, after you win a game, I don't think you're going to change things up, even though they won against a team without Jimmy Butler. Uh, I could see it happening after last game. Um, but still, like, the fact that Grimes has not been able to make a shot this entire series, I think he made one last game and maybe one before that, um, it doesn't bode well for, you know, inserting him into that lineup when he's not doing much, but I, you know, to your point about spacing, it, it makes sense. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm 50-50. I wouldn't be shocked if it happened, but I think I'm, it's more likely than not that uh, the lineup stays the lineup. Greg, you think doesn't, sound, doesn't sound like you're 50-50 then. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Uh, I, mean, I think I'll I think I'll probably change the lineup. I mean, once you get smoked, like uh, they just got smoked, tons gonna change. So even it's just uh, symbolic more so than him actually believing in the lineup. Yeah, and I think someone someone asked him about you know adding Fournier or Derek Rose to the lineup, and he said you know he he doesn't answer any questions. Tibbs doesn't. So he basically just said, like, we'll see what happens. Like, everything's on the table right now. Um, so if you want to read into that, even though that's just a what Tibbs would say no matter what, that's that's some fodder for you. I mean, that's just a dumb question. It's a pretty but wild I question. I think that there's that's I, kind of a last resort thing. I don't know that we need to go there. but um, I mean, I think the, the argument there would be more on the Fournier part just because they can't hit a shot, and Fournier set the record last season for most three-pointers by a Knicks player in a season. Um, so like I could, again, I don't think it's likely, but I think that would be the argument for making that move. I, I guess we should get to other reasons why the Knicks struggled in this one. I think, I mean, Julius Randle, after I, I thought playing a very, I mean, a good, certainly a good offensive game in game two and, and a good enough all around game in game two, um, really came out and, and was harmful to, to the team in, in game three, he ended up being Four of 15 from the field, 0 of 5 from three. He had 10 points, two assists to four turnovers. He did have 14 rebounds, but he was also just two of five from the free throw line. And he looked hobble. He did not look good at all. Um, you know, it, it, at times it was hard to tell whether it was an effort thing or an injury thing. Um, he'll he'll never tell you it's an injury thing in interviews because I mean, he, you know, I'm not sitting here questioning his toughness, but what we saw on the floor in game three is not going to lead to winning basketball. He was that bad. He was probably the worst player on the floor for the Knicks on a game where everybody was bad. Yeah. Uh, and I think you and I both put posted the same clip separately. I didn't see that you posted it where we had kind of different takes on, on Julius Randle, um, whether it was effort or injury. And, and to me, it just looked like he was not himself. Like he was not trying to like do anything sharper or, or do anything with force. And, and game two, he was very forceful, like attacking, attacking, attacking. In this game, you know, he didn't have that first step. 
his closeouts were like very slow and like even coming out of the closeout, that's the post that, the clip that we posted. Um, coming out of that closeout, he was very slow. So like Gabe Vincent pumped and like went straight by him and and Julius Randle just kept on running in order to slow down. So to me, I, you know, it seems like the, there's a possibility that he was just, you know, uh, feeling pretty good after game two. And then something happened either, you know, maybe going so hard in game two caused the problem. But the, the three days in between, maybe something happened there. But to me, he, he looked injured. He looked like he was playing injured. Greg, any thoughts on Randall? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he was injured based on uh, what we saw. And now there was a not just the one closeout you guys are talking about in the second half, but just from the from the very beginning, there was just like a a closeout on Max Schroes three in like the first five minutes, where he just didn't look like he gave any effort whatsoever. And it, I mean, well, he wasn't the only one who was wasn't moving well in the in the first quarter. So I don't know. I, I think he must still be hobbled based on what we saw. He was just, uh, he's a beast. So I, I can't believe that that was his a game. Yeah. And I guess my, my point was, I mean, for one, if, if that is the best Randall can do, then like the Knicks are just going to lose. Like that's just how it's going to be. But also like if he's actually hobbled, if he's really hurting, then maybe don't play him 38, full minutes in a complete blowout where this one was never really competitive, like try and, and sit him when the game was already decided. You know what I mean? Like, like try and get this guy yeah. some rest and some treatment would be my take. Cause so, 30, yeah. So one, one thing I'll say about that is that at the end there, when the Knicks, you know, the game was in hand for the heat, the Knicks were going with uh, Obi Toppin and Julius Randall together with no center. So I think they were doing a little bit of, of testing out in uh Testing out that lineup because you know that's something that the Knicks may have to do with against this Heat team if they go with you know Bam Adebayo's and Kevin Love as their two big men. You know you really only need a, a real big man kinda to to rebound against Cody Zeller. Um, so I think Randall could go toe to toe with uh, Bam Adebayo, but if they go with a a real seven footer, then you know, you need a real center. I mean, obviously the Knicks centers have, have not been the issue, uh, but, you know, it's just another change that could be happening to make the Knicks quicker and, and better offensively. So I thought that was one of the reasons he played 38 minutes. But, again, I agree, I agree with you, but if he's like actually test, hurt, there's, then there's testing going on, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we should probably talk about Jalen Brunson because I think he's probably the most important player um, you know, with the ball in his hands so much, so much decision-making coming from him. Um, you know, statistically, you look at his box score, and he was 7 of 20 from the field. Not great. 0 of 5 from 3, which is, you know, it's it, this is a second game this series where he's had, had at least, like, 0 of 5 from 3. I think it was, like, was he 0 of 7 in game 1? It was something maybe even worse. Um but he did finish with eight assists to zero turnovers, which I like a lot. I didn't realize that watching the game because um, turnovers had been a little bit of an issue with, for him just because he's getting he's seeing so many bodies. He's getting a lot of ball pressure uh, that the defense is really keying on him. So the fact that he finished this game with zero turnovers is good. But, you know, clearly that shooting 35 percent from the field is not going to get it done for him. Like he has to be like he was in the Cleveland series, the best player on the floor at times. And I don't feel like we've gotten a chance to see that from Brunson this series. 
Yeah, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with kind of the Miami Heat's defense. I think they're sending all of their defenders at him whenever they get a chance. And, um, you know, I think we saw in game two, he's still capable of, of you know, excelling in that situation and hitting shots um, in tight spaces. Uh, but it hasn't been the case. And, you know, I think the the more concerning thing is, like you said, the, the 0 of 5 shooting threes, because he ha- he's had some good looks and we've grown accustomed to him knocking those looks down. Um, so, you know, you wonder what's going on there. Um, I think, you know, he is another guy that they've said was was hobbled by injury um, to his ankle. So, you know, you're wondering how serious that is versus, you know, um, whatever's going on. Um, but I agree that his shot hasn't looked quite the same. Well, I guess just last game it didn't look the same. I think he looked very good in the in game two. Um, but, you know, he is the engine of this team. So he needs to, you know, I think we've grown a little bit spoiled but by, you know, whenever he misses a shot, I'm surprised. Um, and, you know, there's been a few more of those in the last uh, this series than than I would hope for. Yeah, that paint is just getting getting very clogged. The Heat are, you know, trying to go in zone sometimes, and they are really just daring the referee to to call defensive three seconds. Because I mean, how often is the ref going to call that? You see one, maybe two a game, but they're just not going to call it over and over again, even if it continues. So they're uh, they're they're playing the game, and Brunson is his. He's been short on a lot of shots. Uh, you know, his mid-range is usually lethal, but hasn't hasn't been uh perfect. But you know, it's seven for twenty is you know, better than the rest of the teams. So <laughs> okay. yeah, we saw we saw in game three the the heat went mostly man. I don't know if they even threw any zone. Obviously, game two was all zone without Jimmy Butler, but you know, in game three we saw Butler matched up on RJ to start and Gabe Vincent on Brunson. Which I I believe that was the matchup, and it's or, or, yeah, I mean, it, was, it was Gabe Vincent. No, it was, it was Vincent. Vincent. Yeah, so I mean, that's an, a matchup that I would hope that Brunson could take advantage of, right? Like we've seen him take stronger guys down to the post and and you know do the work down there, but you know, I feel like they're the Heat have bad defenders, right? Your Kevin Loves, and then if you go to the reserves, like your Duncan Robinsons, and the Knicks just haven't done a good job of of attacking those uh, of really putting those defenders on the spot to like to defend. They've, they've let them off the hook too much. I posted a clip after game one about that, how they're just not engaging the help defender enough. Like whenever they're trying to get like a pick and roll and you've got the, the defender guarding the screener, you would try and go at him to try and get like a switch or something. But instead the Knicks are just being very patient. They're, they're, they're holding the ball. They're waiting and Brunson was guilty of that in game one, I thought. And and Julius Randle in particular had some egregious ones in game three. So I just want to see the Knicks, like, you know, identify these weak defenders and then go at them, like really, really attack them and, and try and, you know, they, they have weak spots there. Yeah. You know? And I think, I mean, I think we're more likely, I, I would put more of the, that on um, you know Randall um, and maybe RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett's actually been doing a very good job of uh, attacking Gabe Vincent, but um, Gabe Vincent on on Jalen Brunson is not Gabe Vincent on Jalen Brunson. It's Gabe Vincent waiting for help from three other guys. So like Gabe Vincent is playing up and playing tight and then just waiting for help. Um, so I don't I don't think it's as easy for Brunson in those situations to get a one on one. I think a guy like Randall, like the clip that you posted in particular, like he, if he can get that switch. 
he has to. Um, but I think I do think that there is a little bit of leeway there for for Jalen Brunson because it's just not they're not treating him the same way that they're treating other players. And I, and I do think that Grimes coming in for Hart is going to help that just a little bit. And I think if you can do anything to help it just a little bit, you got to because Brunson, like we said, engine of our offense, need his production, need his efficiency, and so just any iota of a, of a difference you can make there, I think you have to go ahead and do it. Um, because Josh Hart's defenders are not guarding him. They don't think that Josh Hart wants to take 10, 11, three-pointers in a game like we saw Obi Toppin do in game one. They're, Josh Hart's that's just not his game. It's not his mentality. He doesn't want to do that, and he's not going to. So he'll pass up wide-open looks um, to try and get, in his eyes, a better shot. And, you know. Yeah, and I think – yeah, and I think with Josh Hart, that's a little bit um, – it's a little bit of a frustration, I think, for me. I don't know if other people feel the, the same way because he shot pretty well from three this year. Uh, the full season, he shot 37%. And like I said, after uh, after you got traded over the Knicks, I think it was over 50%, which obviously is not sustainable. Um, but you see it a lot this series where he'll catch the ball on the three-point line and then he'll either like wait for someone to close out, pump, and try to drive by them, or he'll just immediately kick it. Uh, rather than trying to take the shots. I think there's there's been kind of late game situations where he'll feel empowered to to take that shot, which is a little bit surprising because, you know, if he's not taking it with in lesser, lesser pressure situations, why would he just decide to do it and, and make big shots in other games? So um, it and, you know, that was something that some of the, the commentators talked about when he got traded over from Portland is basically they said, you know, he was very hesitant to shoot and i think his numbers before he got traded to the Knicks weren't um obviously as good as as the final season numbers but you know he's a very capable shooter and you know if if they leave him wide open i would be okay with him shooting if he's wide open like i think the percentages play out that that's a, a good shot for him Yeah, I see uh, in the in the chat here, you guys have pointed out R.J. Barrett's plus minus in the box score. Um, now, that's a plus minus minus. All right, that's that's minus 32 for R.J. Barrett. And I don't know how indicative that is of his performance, frankly. Like, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't lights out by any means, but he was he the worst player that the Knicks trotted out? I don't think so. I think a lot of that has to do with, RJ is the one who plays with that bench unit. Oftentimes he was the starter and the bench unit's been garbage, man. Like that's why we need Josh Hart on that bench unit. Um, I know it keeps coming back to that for me, but you know, RJ, I'm not gonna put too much stock in that one uh, plus minus. I I know you guys weren't either, but it is, it is jarring to see that number. Yeah. I think the most jarring thing is just how out of line it is with everybody else. Like the second worst on the team is, is Hartenstein, uh, which was 18. So that's a 14 point difference. And then after that, it's Obi Toppin at minus 10, which is a 22 point difference. So just the how widespread it is between that number and all the rest of the numbers is the most jarring thing. But like you said, like one game fam, like I'm not, I'm not that worried about a one game plus minus. And, you know, like you said, RJ playing with the bench unit who has been not good, particularly last game. Um, like it checks out that that number would be bad. Guys, I mean, is there much more to say? Oh, we should. I mean, we probably we should, should. A little earlier. Like Emmanuel quickly having the ankle injury, and he's now, I believe, either questionable or doubtful. He's one of the two. I saw that Nick's PR put out a a tweet. Um, he obviously rolled his ankle in this game. Um, he was helped off 
which is not yeah. great. I mean, again, doubtful. Doubtful. Like he hasn't played amazing. I thought in this game he showed more energy. Um, in game two, he had some nice floaters as well. Um, he's starting to look a little bit more like the guy that we love, but you know, he still shot four of 12 from the field, two of eight from three, not, he he has not been as effective as he was in the regular season. That's putting it lightly. Um, but still coming into the series, I keep harping on it. One of the Knicks greatest strengths was their depth. And like, obviously this would hurt it. And the fact that the depth has actually been the strength of the heat has been pretty shocking to me. Yeah, and we've been saying it pretty much all playoffs long is that you know the, the role players have just haven't really shown up yet, uh, particularly Grimes and Quickly, um, as guys that you we really depended on this season to provide both shooting, spacing, and then like defense. And I think um quickly last game, um first the first half he played, you know, fairly well. I think the second play. Second half, his play kind of diminished a little bit. And, you know, he was also just getting – he got blown by on defense a couple of times, which was um, frustrating to watch. Uh, but, you know, if the Knicks are going to have any chance, like they need some shooting and they need some of these guys who aren't stepping up to step up because the Heat are daring anyone who isn't Jalen Brunson to beat them. And, you know, I think Julius Randle's obviously not 100%. So that's been iffy. And then, you know, R.J. Barrett has been – solid uh but you know I, I i don't know if he's the guy we want to depend on to to take it home for us greg i want to ask you something and this is more on the on the defensive side but like you know jimmy butler did lead lead the team in scoring uh he had 28 of the heat's points he was 9 of 21 from the field 0 of 2 from 3 he got to the line 11 times he was 10 of 11 from the free throw line so that obviously bolstered his point total a great deal but the other guys hurt the Knicks a lot like Max Struess putting up 19 points Kyle Lowry Kenny mentioned Emmanuel quickly getting beat Kyle Lowry did that a couple times just bullied him was like Kyle Lowry was hunting Emmanuel quickly in pick and roll which should never happen um but some of these role players were, were really hurting the Knicks as well so I don't know Greg, what what's the deal? What, what Max Struess? Like, come on. Yeah, I mean the Heat do a lot of running around. I mean, especially Max Struess and Duncan Robinson. They're they'll be sprinting around, and you know the Knicks will get caught. I know it's it's a little bit tough when you have a uh, you know two bigs like Randall and especially a hobbled Randall and then Mitchell Robinson who are you know not the best at you know switchable in this in this particular instance. I mean, normally I would trust Randall to, you know, be able to keep up with next juice on our switch, but sure. just right now, he just doesn't look very good. So I think that's a large part of it. And then a lot of it was just the Knicks were just not good to start that game. They just were not focused. I have I'm no idea. Sure. There, there was no energy. They were just walking around, uh, you know, then the Knicks typically dominate the offensive glass, and they they won the offensive rebounding in this game, fourteen to thirteen. Usually, it'd be a, it'd be a much larger disparity. They lost the overall rebounding battle, fifty to forty-eight. So, you know that's that's another part of it. the Knicks defensively. If you're going to give them thirteen extra chances, that's not something the Knicks normally do. Uh, 
we're usually the ones getting the offensive rebound. And so the Heat have done a, a good job of getting those extra opportunities against the Knicks in this series as well. So that's that's a, a big part of it as well. You know, those are not only you have to defend for longer, but it's also morally deflating. And, you know, if you give someone two, three opportunities, they only have to shoot 50 or 33% and, and they score. Yeah, and we, yeah. we should also make note just real quick that the Heat, it's not like they were shooting lights out on their end. They shot under 22% from three. They were seven of 32 and 38.9% from the field overall. I think one thing that helped them was that they shot over 90% from the free throw line. And a lot of free throws. 28 for 31 to the Knicks, 16 for 22. So a huge free throw edge there. Um, but to Greg's point, like the heat were obviously just the more physical team in this one. Like they, they out hustled, they out muscled the Knicks and that's usually the Knicks thing. You know what I mean? Like that's what the Knicks did to the Cavs all series long. And the heat kind of came out and did that to the Knicks in game three. And I just, I need to see a switch up in just in like passion and, and like emotion from the Knicks in game four. I think something that we haven't talked about yet but is worth worth talking about is that the way that the game is refed has a huge impact on the game uh because from the beginning the Knicks were doing their best not to foul Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and they did a great job of like avoiding contact and not biting on Jimmy Butler's pump fakes and like his pump fake turnaround whatever thing it is and the heat were just playing aggressively and the refs weren't calling fouls either way so the Knicks were playing clean and kind of no getting no whistles and the heat were like aggressively into guys and, you know, fouls could have been called that weren't called. So like that advantage goes to the heat because they have, they get easier shots because they're not be there's no contact. Whereas like if the, the heat are shooting and or if the Knicks are shooting and the heat are like making marginal contact and no calls are getting called, you know, those are harder shots to make. And, you know, we saw throughout the game that there were a lot of, you know, if he calls uh, going in favor of the heat. And so like, I'm not going to blame the refs on this one uh, because the Knicks didn't do themselves any favors, but the refs also didn't do them any favors. Uh, I think there were three plays where, you know, there's a pretty clear foul on the heat. And then immediately after they called a foul on the Knicks that resulted in free throws for the heat. Uh, one of them was Kyle Lowry running into Julius Randall at the top of the key. And then Randall fouled Lowry for shots. One of them was Bam Adebayo just like tossing uh, R.J. Barrett and then uh, Bam Adebayo got free throws and then Josh Hart got a, a tech on that. Um, there was a third one that I'm forgetting, uh, but it's it was all bad. It was all bad and I didn't enjoy it and I am still unhappy about it and wish I wasn't talking about it right now. Yeah, and one of those, one thing to add on to, you know, the way the refs call the game, uh, you know, changes things. But they they called a a moving screen on Julius Randall like the second play of the game, that was which crazy. is just like, yeah, you're really going to call that after the Heat have been setting all their screens the way they have, and they, I mean in general, that's just how people set screens. But I don't know, just pick and choosing when you're going to call a a moving screen and calling it on Julius Randall on the second play of the game was just not something that you would typically see in an NBA basketball game. But again. I I'm not blaming the refs. The Knicks were horrible. On the on the illegal screen point, I did post a video of just the most amazing screen assist you'll ever see uh, with Josh Hart is trying to get 
Yeah, Josh Hart's trying to get back on defense and Bam Adebayo runs into him at, at half court and just like face guards him to prevent him from, from getting in front of, I think it's Max Struess who got a layup against uh, Julius Randle. It's just yeah, like pass rushing. Yeah, and it's just like they, they called a, a, an illegal screen on Julius Randle and they just like let that one go. It's like, eh, whatever. That's tough. All right, guys, I think that's kind of all I've got on this game. That was a, a not fun game. Um, didn't have fun talking about it, Tom. No, no. I mean, I, I don't think uh, – hopefully people have had fun listening, but <laughs> I don't – I mean, how could we expect that? Um, uh, I don't know. Anything else you guys want to say about game four? Any adjustments you want to see, or is it just like as simple as – Play better. I, th- I think we're on the same page about Grimes starting in favor of Hart, but beyond that, I think we've kind of you know beat that to death. But any other adjustments or anything like that, or is it just play better, make your shots? Yeah, it's going to be play better, make your shots, hope that, uh, you know, if Quickly's out, that douche McBride gives a, a spark off the bench. You know he's going to be going full throttle every minute he's in there, as he always does. So that should be helpful in some way. You know, he's a good defender, and, you know, he he's a very capable offensive player. So he's I thought he was great against Cleveland. He was really good. He I thought he, he was a very spark. positive contributor in, in that series. So, yeah, it, again, Nick's depth – should be a strength here, and I, I hope we we see that borne out. Yeah, would be nice. It would be nice. Got to be optimistic, because what else? What are the other options? I, I think. All right, yeah, I think we all agree the Knicks will win Game Four and come back to MSG tied two two. Right? Like we all think that we believe that. They have to. Yeah, we have, have to. to believe that. Yeah, I, have to believe. And it. It, and that's the whole thing about you know the playoffs is that each game, like once it's over. All that matters is the result. And so, like, the fact that they won that game by, you know, 20 and the Knicks look bad, like, it doesn't matter going into the next game. All that matters is that game. And, you know, you see the the last few games with the Lakers and Warriors. It's like one team wins by 30 and then the next game, the the other team wins by 30. It's just like anything can happen. So it's not it's not over until until it's over. So got to feel optimistic going in because there's no other option. All right. Well, if you're listening to this, we appreciate you. We, we did see talking Knicks climbed into the top 100 of uh, Chartable's list of the top basketball podcasts in the U.S. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, I think we're at 87 right now. We we're up to 80 last week. Uh, great stuff. We appreciate everyone listening and uh, keep keep following us on social. We're putting out some breakdown videos, highlights, clips, things like that at talking Knicks on Instagram and on Twitter. and. Uh, Yeah, guys, I think we did it. And until next time, let's go Knicks. Knicks take.